0: Today, we're speaking with Arun Kajariwal. Arun, it's great to have you on the show.
1: Great to be here. Thank you, man.
0: Now, today, we're going to be talking about pharmaceuticals, research and development, commercialization in the pharma space. Arun has a lengthy career with all the major leading pharma companies, whether it be Merck, Pfizer, GSK, or Spark Therapeutics, where he is right now as the asset general manager for Huntington's disease and other CNS programs. We're excited to go through this. this is a space that's evolving rapidly. And as we've all been talking about healthcare issues over the last several years, Arun is right in the thick of it. So Arun, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about your background and your career
1: yeah so a little bit about uh, my background and career so in terms of uh, maybe i thought it would be good to kind of share about myself a little bit right uh, so in terms of uh, when i look at uh, me as a as, as a person as Arun, own uh, i'm i'm very passionate about uh, doing, doing good for the society right so really the the core fundamental value for me is uh, i want to leave the leave the world better than uh, what i came into right uh, so that's uh, that's really the core of uh, I guess my career, my education, everything is really based off of that, right? Uh, and that also that that means two things. One is uh, just in terms of the the place itself and the second is in terms of the people. and i I'm truly a believer in this multiplier leadership uh, where uh, as a person, uh, I, my 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 I guess goal or responsibility is also to build new leaders uh, as we go along. right so that's that's a little bit about myself and what my core values really are. Uh, but in terms of the career, uh, uh, of course, uh, from an education perspective, I have a bachelor's and a master's in chemical engineering, and then uh, I have an MBA as well, right? Uh, so most of my career has, uh, like, you, like you mentioned, ben, is, have been in the pharmaceutical industry, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've also had the pleasure of uh, like working in the paper industry, automobile industry, and the chemical industry as well. That's very early in my career. Uh, coming out of chemical engineering, and uh, you can't uh, really be not a chemical engineer when you do chemical engineering work, right? So that was a uh, that was a few years of my life, and really enjoyed it. But uh, uh, getting into pharma was a game changer for me, right? Uh, so that's where uh, I started at uh, Merck, uh, and uh, so as a really a bench scientist, uh, and then uh, the and then I progressed into more of a, a portfolio level or the more. Uh, strategy level analysis and informing big big decision in terms of where to invest uh, in the pharma industry. All about R&D, right? uh, looking at uh, when I started in the science, uh, really how to build the facilities that can make uh, uh, those biologics and the complicated molecules uh, that, that turn into medicine, uh, and then uh, moved on to really understanding long-range planning, things like that. So the key learning from there for me was uh, uh, really bringing people together, right? So if you look at uh, my, my role in the, in the biologics pilot plant where things go so fast and so rapid yeah. and it's very highly operational. Uh, so bringing people together for a cause and making things happen quickly uh, was really a big learning for me and how to really do that, right? It's one thing that you are able to do it, but then bringing everyone else along and uh, be able to do things, it's, a, it's a totally a different different ballgame, right? Uh, so that, yeah. that, was a, that was a big thing I, I learned at uh, Merck. Uh, and then when I moved up uh, in terms of really understanding uh, how big farmers make decisions, so that uh, everything they do is sustainable, right? At the end of the day, pharma industry is is it's a great business, and ah uh, really to me, it's really a very no- noble cause, doing good to the society. But we should be able to do it in a sustainable way, and that right. means we also look at more financial end of things, right? Uh, so that's that's really my work experience for ten years, but that was not enough for me. I thought that's great science is good but i really want to understand what happens in the commercial end of things so I really once the product is in the market how how do we sustain the business right and what are the things that uh, i can learn from there and really help the end to end like pharma pharma industry right mm-hmm. so i i joined pfizer i mm-hmm. spent uh, 10 10 years there and uh, that is uh, another another 10 years of great experience and learning uh, looking more from uh, how to take a drug into the market. So really from right. a proof, post proof of concept, the scientific risk have been somewhat resolved. Uh, taking that and understanding the regulatory environment in different parts of the world and then launching that product there. Right? And uh, I got an opportunity to really have a global role working in Latin America and Russia, Japan, really understanding those markets uh, while launching a new modality. right? So biosimilar, things like that. So I'm going to pause here. I just want to make sure that that makes sense. Any any, any questions? No, I mean,
0: I think it's all amazing. I think that you can see that wealth of experience really leading into what you're working now on at spark therapeutics which seems to be working on really some of the more leading edge stuff in the gene therapy space so tell me a little bit more about how you're applying all that learning from r&d and rolling out the kind of commercial innovation at spark
1: oh, that's very very interesting brand and i think i'll and that's that's where the thing about pharma industry i always had this thing in me in some so yes we are doing good but at the same time uh, this is a medicine that we are making that everyone has to take it regularly on a chronic basis. Uh, so, right. it's like they, That gets reminded of the disease uh, or the suffering that they have on a regular basis, right? So while, while at, at Pfizer is when I first got exposed to gene therapy and I was part of the team, that really developed Pfizer's gene therapy strategy, right? And that really opened up for me was, oh, this is a place where we get to the root of things and uh, has the potential to cure the disease. In other words, wow. uh, Give it a give it a shot, and then the person just forgets about the disease, right? So that's a, that's the promise of gene therapy. And uh, I was like, well, this is the place I I gotta be, right? Uh, so that's when I started to explore uh, where I can really make gene therapy happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't have to look far. Uh, Spark Therapeutics, uh, they're pioneering gene therapy, yeah. and I was like, okay, well, I need to go to, go to that place uh, and, and make gene therapy happen.
0: And, you know, you're focused on some of the topics like Huntington's disease specifically. Tell me about really what's happening in terms of genetic research in terms of Huntington's and how that's being rolled out.
1: Yeah. So uh, so in terms of uh, maybe I'll I'll take a little step up and say the CNS in general or neuroscience in general. Right. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of scientific development or research that has gone in the last 10 years or so. Right. Where people have a lot more better understanding of the neurological diseases or the neuroscience in general. Right. Mm -hmm. That research has really set up very nicely for us to capitalize on that and develop a treatment or a cure for it, right? So that's, that's really the, the, the area that really I, I, I put myself into is the CNS for neuroscience is where I really want to be because that's really another, loosely speaking, it's the next oncology, if you will, because the science has really done well in the last 10 years, right? So applying that science to develop cure is, is, is what I'm doing now. And because it's the gene therapy, uh, one of the easiest thing, not I would say easiest as an easier thing, uh, is really going to diseases that are monogenic and uh, genetic diseases that way you really need to tackle one part, one one part of the like you know problem. In the sense that the monogenic is a little bit easier to understand and then develop a treatment for it. What are the
0: treatments? I mean, how do you roll out a solution?
1: Yeah, so here's first, uh, first of all, for especially for Huntington's, right? If you look at uh, we, we have known for a long time what causes the disease. There's a mutation of a gene, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we have not been able to find a, find real treatment at, at this point. There is no treatment, so unmet need in the Huntington disease is really, really high, right? And this is a disease that really does not impact just one person. The person with the with the mutation impact the whole family the society the person right. that the person is right so what uh, what we are doing and one of the approaches is really getting to the root of it and saying how can we uh, really stop what the mutation is causing in terms of what mutation does is it uh, forms a huntington protein uh, which is a mutated protein that's a bad protein right so how yeah. can we we genetically go in there Uh, and give that one treatment uh, where it's going to stop producing that uh, mutant Huntington uh, uh, protein, or it's going to like, you know, slow it down or stop uh, or make it less of Mm -hmm. a mutant Huntington protein, right? So that's, uh, that's how we are kind of tackling the root of it.
0: But I mean, Arun, let me kind of, I guess, state my ignorance here. I mean, what does this net out to be? I mean, is this a procedure? Is this a pill? I mean, how does this get rolled out?
1: Yeah, so it's a it's, it's actually a, a treatment where we have to get to the target region that's within the brain and because uh, putamen and cortex are the two target regions in the brain, which are the most affected part of the, I guess, brain for Huntington disease, right? So mm-hmm. what we do is in order to uh, give the treatment, we got to get to those target regions, right? And currently, what we do is we have to do a surgery, which is new oh. surgery getting directly into the brain, right? And inject the therapy, which is a bio-biologic therapy, oh, inject okay. that into, into that part of the brain, right? And so it's, it's 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 the promise is a one-time injection and uh, that really, the cells continue to kind like of uh, uh, be there forever, first to speak, uh, and uh, tackle the disease.
0: You know, Arun, I've thought a lot about this, which is that, you know, there was so much focus over the last three years, certainly on the virus, on COVID, that I've just been curious on how that impacted R&D and innovation and really some of the other areas that are so critical in the broader pharma and medical space. And I noticed that you stepped into your current role Right at the beginning of COVID, tell me a little bit about that experience and really how that maybe presented some challenges and maybe opportunities.
1: Yeah, so definitely. So it's a, the the way I, I think of this is the two pieces. One is the people aspect of it, joining a new company altogether, and then really building that relationship and getting to know everyone in a remote setting is is extremely, extremely challenging, something new, right? We have never, Mm -hmm. never done this. We always used to be face-to-face and make trips to be there so that we can get to know people, right? Uh, so that that aspect was uh, pretty interesting. It took me a little longer to get to know people, right? Yeah. And and more more importantly, also sometimes you feel like you know them over the Zoom setting. Yeah. Uh, but when there really some issues happen, you quickly realize, well, like, I don't know the person as much as I know. I think I knew the person, right? <laughs> uh, so so that's a, that's 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 a learning learning by itself, right? Uh, but yeah, that uh, it took little time, but the good thing was that Spark is a smaller company. Uh, mm-hmm. And everyone was so open to understanding well, new people are coming in and the best way for them to do is have Zoom or other things. Everyone had their video cameras on that you get to at least a little bit more than just uh, voice. You get to see people and get to see expressions and get to understand a little bit more of each other. So that, yeah, that was that was very good. On the other end, and especially with COVID, all the resources right, mm-hmm. uh, that really work on... Uh, uh, all aspect of drug development, including regulators uh, and even uh, hospitals for the clinical trials uh, and everything else, uh, even the animals for so study that we do preclinical study, the labs and other everybody was uh, two things. One was COVID was had limited their ability to do things, and second, uh, uh, the the treatments uh, that were being uh, developed for COVID, uh, they took all of their resources, right. Right? so they were focusing on there. So I would say that was uh, that had significant impact on uh, other stuff. Uh, of course, from a clinical trial perspective, the clinical trials couldn't be conducted, right?
0: I've also often thought that maybe we're going to have a bit of a blip in the data because, and maybe I'm wrong, but you know, I do quite a bit of research myself, not in the medical space. But is it possible, and maybe I'm wrong, that uh, during COVID, that perhaps people were there for other, you know, illnesses, other sicknesses, but at the same time they might have been listed as a COVID patient, and perhaps then that will kind of throw out of whack our data on some of these broader diseases. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but I've been thinking about that, that maybe there's a challenge there.
1: Yeah, and there, there's certainly that aspect of it, and that's more closer to the diseases that have similar symptoms to COVID, right mm. uh, but not not necessarily for the cns stuff that i'm i'm working on which is more of a genetic thing and uh, the symptoms are very different right so yeah. for those aspects uh, definitely there's a little bit of uh, like you know separation there but i'm i'm, I'm with you uh, there have there, there definitely is going to be one of those things where people look look back and say did tell people really have covid or did they, yeah. they have something else or they had something else that didn't really get addressed because COVID was on top of everyone's mind, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so, so six, there'll yeah. be an asterisk, I think, next exactly. to some of the data.
1: Yeah. But one of well, I would say the the positives coming out of COVID uh, kind of a situation is to definitely. Uh, VBA, the industry was able to get a treatment in such a short period of time. Yeah. Right? So that's actually a big learning and people are starting to see how is that possible, right? Uh, so even from a regulatory perspective and a clinical trial perspective, there are a lot of things that uh, people are starting to do. Well, there's a remote monitoring or... Uh, How can we do things faster? I mean,
0: such a great point, Arun. I mean, honestly, one of the things that gets forgotten is what an incredible human achievement (laughs) it was to move. I mean, you live in this world, how regulated it is and how many steps and checks and balances there are. But to move that quickly was just uh, stunning. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So Arun, I mean, as we step into 2023 Mm -hmm. here, what are your hopes for the future? What's on the docket?
1: Yeah, I I I personally think in terms of the development and in, um, things that we're doing, and especially in the NS space, is what I really like. You now study more and learn more about and look 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 stuff in the future. Uh, this there's, there's definitely going to be a lot of uh, things happening in this space, right? Uh, for, for example, even the Huntington disease, so so many programs now now, now in the clinic uh, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone's trying to take different approaches to treating them, right? And that's cool. that's really going to yield yield something. I'm really hope, hopeful about it, right? It's going to yield something, right? And same at uh, a uh, higher level in the CNS, like Parkinson's disease, as well as Alzheimer's, uh, as, as you may have heard, of it, especially for Alzheimer's, we had some recent approvals and some other drugs have been really doing good. But I think yeah. that's just uh, that's the first step, right? Uh, From here on, uh, you'll you'll definitely see a better treatment, uh, things like that come through in the CNS space.
0: Well, Arun, if someone wanted to learn more about really, I'd say R&D in general, as well as commercialization of pharma products, as well as kind of some of the stuff that you're working on specifically at Spark right now, where's the best place to reach you?
1: Best place to reach me would be, of course, LinkedIn. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very active on LinkedIn and uh, you'll see like you know, contact information right there. So it's, uh, the easiest way to reach me would be that's really the way to, way to go, right? Excellent.
0: Yeah. Well, Arun, thank you so much for being on Uncage today. We've been speaking with Arun Kajarawal. He is the Asset General Manager for Huntington's Disease and other CNS programs at Spark Therapeutics. He has a long history in the pharma space, working for GSK, Pfizer, Merck, and really looking at all aspects of research and development, bringing drugs to market, commercializing them. And really thinking about all the issues around that and evolving that model. And what an interesting moment to be working in that space as we take the learnings from what happened through COVID and apply it into other areas. And certainly working in gene therapy and genetics is what is really a bleeding edge space. Arun, thank you so much for being on Uncaged Day and we look forward to having you back.
1: Thank you so much, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers.